morning, everyone. Thanks, Susan. <clears throat> well, I, uh, a, few years ag- <clears throat> a few years ago, uh, I experienced what was, a, at the time, really a pretty severe blow to my mental and spiritual health and well-being. I began having episodes of, of crippling anxiety and depression that left me uh, really unable to enjoy the things that, that I had previously usually loved. And as things got worse, uh, it, it became so that I, I couldn't sleep at night uh, for fear of what the next day would bring. And then I would get into the next day and I'd be so tired from not sleeping that I couldn't do the things that I needed to do, which of course led to the next night being afraid of the next day and not being able to, to continue on and, and so on. There were times where I was so anxious, where I was so just wracked with my anxiety, my anxiety that, that I would shake and that I would cry. And, and I couldn't, at that time, if you would come up, at, up to me and said, Sam, what's wrong? I wouldn't have been able to tell you. I wouldn't have been able to pinpoint what was wrong or what was causing that anxiety. All I would be able to, to, to say is that I, I felt like I was losing myself and slipping further and further into despair. Thanks to some pretty incredible people in my life, including, uh, including my wife, Allison, and some of the folks here at this, at this church, I was able to begin to talk with the right people and get connected with the right counselors and the right doctors and start to do the hard work of unpacking what was happening inside my head and inside my heart. And uh, the short answer is uh, it was a lot. Uh, but one of the important discoveries I made during this time that I want to share with you is this. What I found out is that I was afraid, I was deeply afraid to ask God the question that this man asks in this passage. What do you want with me, Jesus? I was afraid that if I asked, what do you want with me, Jesus, that the answer might be more than I could give, or that Jesus would look me over and decide, you know, I don't want anything to do with you because you're just not enough, and there's not enough there to to want to have anything to do with. What do you want with me, Jesus, was was a question I so desperately wanted to know the answer to, but I was scared of what that answer might be. And I wonder if any of you have ever felt this before. Or maybe, maybe if not this exact question, maybe something like it, maybe another, another angle, another way of approaching it that, that taps into, into some of your questions, some of your weaknesses, some of the places that, that you feel insecure, some of the things that, that, that really touch on your sins. And part of you wants to ask God this big, important question that sometimes keeps you up at night, but the other part of you, a bigger part of you, is scared of what that answer might be. Well, in our passage this morning, we're going to get a chance to see what happens when somebody asks a question like this. We're going to see what happens when this man comes before Jesus and in his moment of greatest desperation asks him, what do you want with me? And when he asked, he was full of plenty of fear and doubt and quite literally other voices in his head making it more frightening to speak that question, to put it out there. But once he did, once he brought that question before Jesus, everything changed. And it did so because of who Jesus is and what he wants for this man and what he wants with you and what he wants with me. What does Jesus want with you? We're going to find out together today. Our passage begins with Jesus and his disciples arriving in in the region of the Gerasenes across from the lake of Galilee. Now, the geographic details may not seem very much like us today, but anyone from the first century, once, once they heard those details, would immediately begin wondering, what on earth is Jesus doing there? What on earth is a guy like Jesus doing in a place like this? 
Because the area that Jesus was, was trying to get to, that he was arriving at here, it was known as the Decapolis or the Ten Cities. And it was a thoroughly pagan land. All right, everywhere you went, there were temples dedicated to the worship of false gods. Uh, the pigs were regarded as, as, as sacred to these people, whereas for the people of Israel, pigs are, are an unclean animal. They didn't want anything to do with them. But for the people in this, in this area, they regarded them as sacred. And perhaps worst of all to the Jews, the cities of the Decapolis were, uh, were home to one of the largest forces of the Roman military, meaning that this was the land that housed the power and strength of Israel's oppressors. Many of the Jews at the time believed that this was the place where Satan lived on earth. And that this, was, this region was, was only the place where their enemies were, all right? It was, their, it was where their enemies were spiritually and it's where their enemy, enemies were culturally. It was not a place any respectable Jew would want to go, especially not a Jewish teacher. Except, apparently, for Jesus. Back in chapter 8, verse 22, which Pastor Brian looked at last week, Jesus made it clear. He starts out that passage by saying, I want to go to the other side of the lake. I want to go over to this, to this foreign and enemy land. There was something he wanted to do there, someone he wanted to meet in that hopeless and despised place. So he and the disciples set sail across the Sea of Galilee. And here in chapter 8, verse 27, just as Jesus sets foot on this land for the first time, immediately he's met by a man who's possessed with demons. And you've got to wonder if some of the disciples were muttering back behind him underneath their breath. I knew something like this was going to happen. In Luke chapter 8, it says, When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had worn no clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man, and many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into a solitary place. This is arguably the most wretched, broken, hurting human being Jesus meets during his earthly ministry. All right, this man is possessed by demons. He's afflicted by the infiltration of evil spiritual beings into his body and his mind and his soul. All right, we're told that he's naked and that he's homeless. And at some point, people had, had, had managed to, to corral him together and bind his hands and bind his feet with chains, but he had broken from those chains and fled, driven by these demonic forces, but driven by his demonic tormentors, out to live alone among the graves of his people. Now, we're never told how this man becomes possessed by demons. We have no idea if, if it was because of some sin he had committed or a mistake that he had made, if he had invited these demons in or if somehow they had overwhelmed him. And, and because of that ambiguity, because we're just not sure how this happens, it may be difficult for some of us to try and, and understand what this man is experiencing, what his life is like. But if you look beyond these immediate circumstances and kind of consider broadly what, what this, this guy was experiencing it might be easier then for you to relate, all right? Because at the basic foundation here, this man is alone. And he's alone because what has happened in his life has made him into an outcast. The weight of sin and shame and the struggle against, uh, against things that he cannot understand or overcome on his own have driven him from his homes, home, from his friends, from his family, 
and left him in complete isolation. I'm sure he felt like no one could help him. Or perhaps he felt like he deserved this, like like where he was supposed to be was alone with his demons. And that's a place I think that many of us might be able to understand or relate to. Because a lot of us have probably been there before. We know what it's like to feel alone. We know what it's like to have no hope. And perhaps some of you are even there this morning, burdened by the feelings of fear or shame or struggling against what seems to be an enemy you cannot see and you don't know how to fight. And you feel like all you know for certain is that you are on your own. And, and, and you are on your own in this despair, in this painful place, because who on earth could want to come and find you? Who could possibly help you? What could anyone want to do with someone like you? And even if they did find you, what could, what could be within their power to possibly do? If you feel like this today, I need you to notice something right here as we, as we begin in these first few verses. All right, Jesus sails across the width of the Sea of Galilee. It's something like five to ten miles, depending on where he started and, and, and where he ended up landing. And recall that when he was on, on his way, like Pastor Brian preached last week, his disciples, he and his disciples were hammered by the storm in their boat, but that didn't blow them off course. It didn't deter Jesus. He still was determined to reach this place. And then when he lands in, in all the places he could have landed along the 13-mile coast of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus just so happens to step off the boat in the one place where the, there was the one living soul that he could possibly meet was this man that so desperately needed him. Jesus intentionally and without reservation or hesitation sets his sight on the one place nobody else wanted to go so he could find the one person nobody else wanted anything to do with. Why would Jesus do this? What could he possibly want with this man? And if you can relate to any part of this man's story, what could Jesus possibly want with you? There is a clash of supernatural power in the initial exchange here in verses 27 through 29. The demon-possessed man encounters Jesus, and Jesus immediately calls for this impure spirit to come out of the man. The man, and and possibly the demons screaming through him, panics at the sudden assertion of authority and the realization of who has come to visit. What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. There is this moment where where the man and and perhaps the demons inside him, they're they're trying to resist, they're trying to wrestle, they're trying to to get an edge on Jesus. But although this demon-possessed man had at one time been strong enough to break through chains and, and and to put fear in the hearts of those people in these cities and these towns that were filled with Roman military professionals, despite all of this, this man and his demons are no match for the Son of God. In verse 30, Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he says, Legion. Because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and the demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. 
Now, a Roman legion typically had somewhere between 5,600 and 6,000 soldiers within that that military unit. And I cannot say for sure whether that means somehow this poor guy had 6,000 demons living living inside him. But no matter what the number was, the point that that Luke, that the author of this gospel is trying to, to communicate here, is that no matter how many demons were with this man, they were not enough to stand against the power of Christ. From the moment Jesus arrives on the scenes, these supernatural evil beings are in absolute panic. They are desperate to get away from Jesus. And they, 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 they fear, they want to escape getting out of and away from the abyss. And the abyss is a place of eternal punishment for satanic forces uh, that's mentioned a few times within Scripture. And so great is Legion's desperation to flee from the presence of God that, that they beg to be sent into this herd of pigs that is nearby, and Jesus allows it. And those same pigs rush down the bank into the Sea of the Galilee and, and are drowned. That's the last that we hear of those evil beings. And verses 27 through 29, we read about a man who has lost control of his life. Almost every last bit of his humanity has been destroyed by his demons. He's naked, he's homeless, he's dangerous to be around. He's rolling around on the ground and screaming and shouting. And then he meets Jesus and everything changes. Because what Jesus wants with this man and what he wants with you and what he wants with me is for us to be holy, changed and transformed, and saved. Verse 34 says, When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported it to the town, to the towns of the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Right, so the pig herders run back to town and tell everyone this, this wild thing that they just witnessed. So the people come out to see for themselves, and what do they find? They find a man who is no longer possessed by demons. A man who is now dressed and calm and in his right mind and sitting peacefully at the, seat of, at the feet of Jesus, listening and learning from the Son of God. They find a man who was once deeply troubled and completely lost to his demons, and that man is now cured. In his most desperate moment of pain and fear, this man had cried out, What do you want with me, Jesus? And what did Jesus want with him? What does he want with you? The answer is really simple, and it's that Jesus wants to save you. Jesus wants to save you. And don't treat this like some sort of trivial, obvious, little kid's answer to a Bible trivia question, because this is an astounding, incredible, incomprehensible piece of good news. All right? Jesus wants to save you. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, looks at you and your pain and your anguish. He finds you in your brokenness. He seeks you out knowing all the wrong that you have done and all the wrong that's been done to you. And it is the desire. It is the passion. It is the sacrificial ambition of the Lord of creation to save you from your darkness and despair that could crush you forever. Not only is it well within the power of the Almighty God to rescue you, it's what he wants to do. 
Now, some of you might, might think, sure, Jesus, in the story, Jesus shows up and does something for this guy, but what about me? When is he going to show up and do something in my life? And I'll be honest, during, during my times of darkness and anxiety and despair, I asked this same question. When is Jesus going to show up for me? Remember how I said in chapter 8, verse 22, that, that Luke makes it clear that, that Jesus sets his sight on, on reaching the Decapolis, on reaching this man. He says, I want to go to the specific place. I want to reach the other side of the lake so he can find and save this man. Well, in Luke chapter 9, we see Jesus do something similar. We, we see him set his sight on, 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 a, on the next goal, to, to, on the next place for his journey. But, it, but the place that he goes has far greater implications. It's just one quick verse, but the story that unfolds after it is everything. Because in Luke chapter 9, it tells us that as the time approached for him, for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. You could also translate that passage that Jesus resolutely set his face toward Jerusalem. Jesus intentionally and without reservation or hesitation set his sight on the one place he had to go to do the one thing nobody else could do. He had to go and die. He had to be crucified on a cross. He had to be sacrificed to satisfy the punishment for our sins and disobedience so that we could one day be clothed in righteousness, restored to eternal life, and worship at the foot of the throne of the Almighty God forever. What I'm saying is that Jesus wants to save you, and he's already done the work necessary to do so. He's already shown up. He's already looked at your life with all its mess and mistakes, and he's already said, yes, that one is mine. I want to save that person, and I will die and defeat death to make that happen. This truth that Jesus wants to save me and has already done the work to do so was part of what put me on the path to find peace for my anxiety and, and put hope in Christ that would help me overcome my depression. It's not the whole story, but it is a tremendously important and miraculous part. Jesus wants to save you. I hope that much is obvious as it comes out of this passage. But there is a secondary important lesson to be learned here. And it's this. Jesus wants to save you, but you also have to be willing to be saved by him. You have to recognize your need and not turn him away. All right, we've seen how this man, overwhelmed by how Jesus changed his life, immediately sits down at Jesus' feet and begins enjoying being in his presence. And he loved Jesus. He learned from Jesus. And as we'll see here in just a moment, he devoted the rest of his life to following Jesus. But that's not how everyone in this story reacts. The townspeople, unable to understand what's going on and unwilling to open up their hearts to the possibility of God acting in their lives, respond in fear. In verse 37, it says, all of the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave because they were overcome with fear. So he got back in the boat and he left. Jesus isn't going to force you into belief. He's not going to make you follow him. His love and forgiveness and compassion are offered freely to change your life and to save you from your sin. But if you ask him to leave, if you, if you turn him away, he will get back into the boat and, and give you your space. I want to speak just a moment directly to anyone here today who, who doesn't yet believe in Jesus 
or maybe that you're struggling. You're in a crisis of faith. You're struggling with your faith at this point. I think it's extremely important, eternally important, for you to accept the salvation that Jesus has to offer. I think you need the love of God in your life to save you from yourself and from the evil that is in this world. And if you feel led to, all right, if you feel that this is the right time, I want to, to offer you a chance this morning, today, here in just a few minutes, to, to come and follow Jesus, to, to, to give your life to him. Right? Here in a few minutes after I'm done preaching, I'm going to go to the back of the room. I'll stand in the corner uh, over on my right, your left. Um, and when the band comes up and as they play kind of the final worship set, if you'd like to come and pray together, if you'd like to come and, and, and talk to Jesus, if you want to talk to God for the first time, if you want to accept uh, Christ's salvation for you, I would love to meet with you and pray with you. All right? if, it, if, if it gets too busy or if it's too loud, we'll step out next to the hangers. It's a, it's a super spiritual place in our church. Uh, we'll, we'll just step outside the doors here. But I would love this chance to, to speak with you, to meet with you, to talk to you, to, to walk you through what that decision could mean. And if you th- feel like you're ready this morning, I want you to accept Christ as your Savior and as your King. We'll get it done this morning, and then we will rejoice. However, if you're still not ready, if you hear this and, and you're still not ready to make that move, I want you to understand that, that I acknowledge freely that following Jesus and becoming a Christian is, is a big decision. All right? It can be a daunting step to take. And you may feel more like the townspeople this morning where, where you just want Jesus to get back in the boat and, and, and turn away. I don't want you to do that. All right? That's not what I want for you this morning. But I also want you to know that I'm not going to hold that against you or judge you for it. And I very much want you to return to this church and continue seeking for truth. We love every believer, every non-believer, and everyone who struggles somewhere in between here at faith. So please, if, if this is not the morning, if you're continuing to search, please come back. But again, if you're ready to take that step and follow Jesus, here in just a few minutes, come find me in the, in the back and, and we'll talk. And now I want to speak for just a moment to those who do already believe in Jesus, who have accepted him as their savior. Because I want to be sure that you remember that you have a story, you have a testimony, you have experienced the transformative power of Jesus in your lives, and you probably know the immense value of hearing somebody talk about what God has done for them. There is a reason that the stories of Jesus' love for us is so powerful. It's because it's a part of his plan to change the hearts of those who turn away. Look back at the final verses of this passage. It says that the man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Jesus wants to save you. And he wants you to share your story of salvation with others. As followers of Christ, it matters. It matters so much that we are people who are excited to tell others how much God has done for us. Now, this doesn't mean that you have to be able to present a theologically perfect explanation of the Bible or the gospel to every person that you meet. I'll be honest. I'm going to let you in on a little secret here. I can't present a a theologically perfect explanation of the gospel or the Bible to everybody that I meet. But what God is looking for is for you to eagerly share what matters most to you with others. If Jesus has ever brought you peace in a troubled time, 
Share that story. If he has freed you from from guilt of of a particular painful wrongdoing, share that story. If If you can feel or sense the glory of God welling up inside you when you look at a sunrise or when you hear the wind blowing through the leaves or or when in that quiet moment of stillness, share that story with people. At faith, we want to make disciples of Jesus who love God, love one another, and love their neighbors too. And part of being able to do that, part of being willing to do that, is being able to talk about the wonderful ways God has shown up in our lives. Because maybe, just maybe, telling your story will help lead those still considering Jesus to seek him out instead of turning him away. If you need proof of that part being being part of God's plan, uh, take a look this week at Mark chapter 7, verses 31 through 37. Mark chapter 7, verses 31 through 37. We don't have time to go over there this morning, but, but if you go there, you'll see a story of Jesus returning to the Decapolis, all right, returning to this place that he'd been rejected, but left behind this one man that he'd saved and, and with the instructions to go and tell what God had done. And this time, when Jesus arrives, he's not turned away. He's not rejected, but instead he's embraced by the people and they bring him someone to heal. And again, he performs this, this miracle, this healing. And in this dark and terrible land that, that's considered to be you know, the, the, the place of the enemy, the people become overwhelmed with amazement and remark that Jesus has done everything well. So what does Jesus want with you? Jesus wants to save you. If you'd like to accept this offer of salvation this morning, please, here in just a moment, meet me back in the corner. We we will talk, we will pray, and and, and we will introduce you to to Jesus, perhaps for the very first time. If you're joining us online, you're welcome to fill out the connection card, and and we can contact you this week uh, as well. Jesus wants to save you, and he wants you to share your story of salvation with others. If you're already a follower of Jesus, this week I'd love for you to, to pick one of these three things to do at least one of these three things to do. The first is to, to think of someone who doesn't know Christ that's in your life, that think of someone who doesn't follow Jesus and commit to praying for them. Five times this week, five, five days this week. Think of someone who, who doesn't know Jesus in your life and commit to praying for them five days this next week. All right, write their name down somewhere and try to go back, even just a simple prayer for them to, be, to, to hunger for something more than, than what this world has to offer. Pray for that person this week. Right, second is to, to, to reflect and review how God has shown up in your life. What is a way that God has, has made an impression in your life? And then think about that story and prepare it in, in a way for you to be able to be ready to share it with others. And then finally, go and tell somebody what God has done for you. Be bold. Pick a person this week and, and simply share something that you love about God. You might be surprised how interested they are to hear it and what impact it might make on their own journey toward getting to know Christ. I am no longer afraid to ask Jesus the question, what do you want with me? Because I now know the answer. Jesus, the Son of God, the Lord of the universe, wants to save me. He wants to save me because that's his desire, that's his love, that's what he desires to do. It's a simple and beautiful and amazing truth. Jesus wants to save you because he loves you. And I hope you'll accept that that's what he wants for you. Would you pray with me, please?
Heavenly Father, there is nothing, there's nothing greater, there's nothing more valuable, there's nothing more amazing than the truth that you want to save us and that you've already done the work to do so. Lord, we praise you for that this morning. And if we've been believers for a day, for a week, for years, Father, we, we recommit ourselves to you and say that we want to continue to follow you this day and in the days to come. Lord Jesus, I'd ask that if there's anyone in this room that, that does want to know the Lord for the first time today, that they, you would give them the, the courage and the boldness to come to, come to the back and, and chat with me and, or, or one of the elders. And, and Lord, just open their hearts to the amazing relationship, the amazing love that you have for them. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.